Hey everyone, welcome to Northridge Church Online. My name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. I want you to know that Northridge Church is a safe place for you. No matter where you are with God. Maybe you've been following God. You've been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe you're here and and this faith in Jesus is new to you. Uh, Or maybe you're here and you're not sure if you have a relationship with God. Or maybe you would say you know you don't have a relationship with God because you're not sure what you believe about God or where you are with God or if you even want a relationship with God. No matter where you are on that spectrum, we want you to know this is a safe place for you. We're just glad that you're here joining us online. So I'm very excited about this week. We are starting a brand new series this week called The Home Run Life. So just so that we know right out of the gate, most of the content and the ideas and the whole premise of this series for the next five weeks comes from a book called The Home Run Life. It's actually, this is what it looks like. It was written by a guy named Pastor Kevin Myers, and he pastors a church in Atlanta, Georgia, and he wrote this book because he did a sermon series on this, and it's just the ideas and all the things in here are phenomenal. So we're going to use that for the next several weeks. So I'm really excited about it. I hope that you'll join us each of these weeks to do this for these five-week series. So when you think of a home run life, what do you think of? What is it? Well, today I want to talk about what a home run life really is. A home run life is very simply the life that you want. It's the life that I want. It's the life that any human being wants. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, there might be differences in in what that home run life might look like, what we all want, what the American dream is for each one of us. It would be unique. It would be different. And that's true. But this is the kind of life that everybody wants, regardless of who you are. They're general things that we all desire, that all has been put within us that we want. And so we're going to talk about what the home run life really is. So the first thing I want to talk about are the four things that make up a home run life. The four things that we all want. So the first one is success. We all want success. None of us started life saying, man, when I grow up, I want to be a failure. (laughs) That would be awesome. No, we didn't do that. In fact, to illustrate this, there was a Monster.com commercial several years ago for the Super Bowl. And it was simply several clips, short clips of children who were saying, when I grow up, and then they would say a phrase. But it was opposite of what anybody would ever say when they were kids. For example, one of the kids said, when I grow up, I want to work my way up through middle management. Another kid said, when I grow up, I want to be underappreciated for my work. Another kid said, I want to, when I grow up, to be paid less for working more. Yeah, right. None of us said that when we were kids. None of us, when we grow up, aspire to that. Why? Because we aspire to be successful. We want to achieve. We want results. And so the, the, one of the biggest things is we want success. A home run life includes or, or has a part of it success. But let's be honest, a home run life with just success is not a home run life. It's not the best life possible. We also, when we think of a home run life, we think of someone in that life. Not the one. I'm not talking about like the one, the ah, uh, you know, halo. No, I'm talking about just people. People in your life, people who you care about and people who care about you. Success is empty without people who we care about. Let me illustrate this. 
So there was once a pastor who loved playing golf. He loved playing golf so much that, that he really wanted to go every day that he could. But he noticed that almost every Sunday, when of course he had to be in church because he was the pastor and he'd have to preach, almost every Sunday the weather was beautiful, sunny, warm, perfect golf weather. And a lot of the other days that he could go, he didn't get to because it was stormy or cold or he had meetings or appointments. And so he finally got so fed up with this, the pastor decided to do something. He called up his assistant pastor and he said, I want you to preach this Sunday. He called up his elder board and said, I'm not going to be around on Sunday. He didn't say what he was doing, but he just said he wasn't going to be around. So Sunday rolls around and the pastor throws his golf clubs in. He drives two counties away from the county he was in so that he could golf on a golf course where nobody would know him, nobody would see him, and know that he was a pastor at that particular church. So he gets out to the first tee box and he's kind of thinking through this and he thinks, man, God is probably going to give me the worst golf game I've ever had because I'm doing this on a Sunday. And I should be in church and I should be preaching as the pastor. Well, he get on, got on the first tee box and he took his driver out and he hit that ball. And he hit it huge. It was a monster drive. 275, 300 yards right down the middle of the fairway. And the pastor's thinking, wow, that was amazing. That was one of the best shots I've ever hit. He ended up going on to par the hole. Throughout the rest of the golf game that he played on his own, he was just killing it. He was out of his mind. It was the best shots he'd ever, he'd ever had. He had pars and he had birdies. It was the most amazing game, the most amazing golf score he had ever shot. It was incredible. He couldn't believe it. So he finally got to the last hole. And he, and he tees off right from the tee box and he hits a beautiful shot right onto the green. It's so good that the ball actually rolls directly into the hole. He gets a hole in one. He can't believe it. He's ecstatic. He's jumping up and down. And as he walks up to grab the, the ball out of the cup, he, he starts praying. He starts talking to God. He says, God, I thought that you would make this day absolutely miserable for me. This is amazing. But then God said to the pastor, I did make it miserable. And the pastor kind of didn't understand and, and was trying to figure out. And then God said, who are you going to tell about this amazing golf game that you just played? <laughs> That's good stuff. The truth is, success without people to share it with us is empty. And so a home run life is success. It has someone and the third thing is self-respect. When we think of a home run life, we know that we want self-respect. In other words, we want to be able to look in the mirror, so to speak, and be able to see ourselves, not just physically, but who we are and who we've become. And we want to be able to respect ourselves and we want other people to respect us as well. We want self-respect. And that is obviously a big deal for us. So when we dream of that, but the truth is, when we dream of those three things, success, someone, people who care about us and we care about, and self-respect, those are all great things. But without this fourth thing, the home run life is not complete. And that fourth thing is this, significance. We want our life to matter. You want to matter. I want to matter. We want to have impact. 
We want there to be significance beyond just when we're here on earth. We want our significance to go far beyond us, far past us. We want to have a purpose-filled, significant, impactful life. We want significance. That is the home run life. So now, if all of those things are the home run life, what's the problem? Well, you and I both know the problem. The problem is that we don't always see that home run life for us. In fact, very few people seem to find the entire home run life. We have pieces. We might have one. We might have two. We might even have three of those things. But very rarely do we find somebody that has all four of those pieces of home run life as their existence. Well, there's a guy named Louis Ramos who went to the church that Pastor Kevin Myers uh, pastors and wrote this book on. And, and Louis Ramos told his story on video for their church. And I want to share it with you in here just in just a moment. But something that he discovered was he went and he heard this series, The Home Run Life, for the first time. And it hit him face to face with his own life. And he realized that his life and the home run life simply did not add up. Take a look. So Louis Ramos had pieces of a home run life. Pieces, just parts of a home run life. He didn't have the whole thing. He was chasing after aspects of the home run life but he was leaving other aspects out. And that's what we have to talk about today. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to talk about things that we can do, things that we can learn from in God's Word, in a specific story in God's Word, that will help us understand the breakthroughs that we need to conquer in order to have the home run life. So we're going to look at the very first book of the Bible. And if you know the Bible, you know the first book of the Bible is Genesis. If you don't, I'll tell you the first book of the Bible is Genesis. We're going to talk about a story in there that is about a man named Joseph. It's found in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. (laughs) We're not going to read it here today because that would take a long time. But what I want to do is I want to summarize it, and I'm going to give you some points and some key breakthroughs in Joseph's life that helped him to experience and discover and actually obtain the home run life for him. So let's look into the story of Joseph. So let me set up the context. So where we pick up the story, Joseph is 17 years old. He is, his father's name is Jacob, and he has many, many brothers in his family. It's a large family. It's a wealthy family, very affluent, very influential, very important. And Joseph in that family is also very important. In fact, this is going to make some of us uncomfortable, but he is considered to be, by Jacob, his father, to be the favored son. Yeah, seriously, that's what is going on. In fact, we know he's the favored son because his father Jacob gives Joseph, none of the other brothers, but just Joseph, a coat of many colors, a robe that had bright, beautiful colors on it. None of the other brothers got it. And so Joseph began to kind of get this this ego, this this pride, this self-importance view of himself that was not healthy. And so he's figured he was so self-important. Well, this continued. And so one day, uh, Joseph was sleeping and God gave him a vision, a dream. And in this dream, it was a good dream. And in this dream, Joseph saw a vision for his future and his family's future. 
And so once he woke up, he wanted to share this dream with his family. The problem was he was not very self-aware. He considered himself to be so self-important. He really shouldn't have shared this dream with them, but he decided to anyway. So he called his family in, his brothers and his father and, and, and his parents. And he said, I want you to hear this dream that I just had, this vision that God gave me of our future. And he said, guess what? You're going to love it. So in the dream, Joseph said, I am standing in the room and all of the rest of you are bowing down to me. (laughs) Joseph said, isn't that great? Well, let me ask you, how would you feel if one of your siblings or one of your kids said, hey, I see this future and I'm standing, you're all bowing down to me. How would you take it? Yeah, the family didn't take it well. Let me just tell you. But Joseph shared this, and so as a result, the brothers got even more bitter at Joseph. It got so bad that they wanted to actually kill him. And so one day, they had an opportunity. They captured Joseph when they were far away from uh, the rest of the family and and his parents, and they threw him into an empty well or cistern. And they had planned actually to kill him the very next day. But what happened was some traders came along. They were on their way to Egypt and they decided instead of killing Joseph, their brother, they would sell him as a slave to these Egyptians. And so that's what they did. They sold him off as a slave. And as soon as he was gone, they took some some, uh, blood from an animal and they sprinkled it on Joseph's coat. And then they ran into their father and said, Father, isn't this Joseph's robe? We think that he was probably killed by a wild animal. Of course, they lied to their father, and their father was grief-stricken. So meanwhile, Joseph has now lost everything. He's a slave being carried off to Egypt. And I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that Joseph is possibly wondering or has this question on his mind. God, what are you doing? Where are you? Think about it. Joseph just had this dream where God showed him this amazing future. And now, not that much later, he's been sold as a slave. He's lost his family. He's lost his home. He's lost his family. He's lost his freedom. He's lost everything that you can imagine except for his life. He's now a slave in Egypt. And I'm sure he's asking this question, God, where are you? In fact, that begs the question. I want to just pause for a moment. In this season, especially this COVID-19 pandemic, where everything's up in the air, we just don't know how it's going to turn out. Have you asked, where are you, God? Where are you? What are you doing? If you are asking that question, that's understandable. And I'm sure Joseph was. And so the question that we have to answer is, well, what was God doing? What was God doing with Joseph? He gave him this great vision. What was God doing? Well, I want to talk about that. What God was doing was God was preparing Joseph to experience the home run life. But God knew that Joseph had to go through some of these things, had to experience these things in order to really learn the four major things, the four major parts of the home run life. So let's talk about those breakthroughs. The first one, Joseph had to learn how to win dependence. How to win dependence. So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is Joseph had everything stripped away from him. Everything, including his freedom. And so Joseph had no choice but to depend on God. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Let's kind of dig into this. 
So as human beings in humankind, we know how the whole dependence independence things works, right? So somebody, uh, a child is born and they start out as a baby and then a toddler and then they grow up and then they get better at things. And, and as they grow up, what do we do? Well, we teach them all kinds of things. We teach them how to tie their shoes. We teach them how to eat, feed themselves, you know, use a fork, use a, use a spoon, things like that. We teach them how to drive. We teach them how to say please and thank you, how to make their bed. We teach them all these things. Well, why do we do that? Well, here's why. Because in human terms, what do we always want to do? What is one of the main goals of all humanity? We want to move from dependence to independence, right? We want to move from dependence to independence. We want somebody that starts out as a child, we want them eventually to be able to just function on their own and they don't have to have mom and dad or somebody else to help them with everything. We want them to move from dependence to independence. But here's the deal. Here's the key to the home run life. In order to understand this first breakthrough for Joseph and for you and I, we need to understand that when it comes to spiritual growth, relationship with God, that rubric, that direction is backwards. God desires for us to move from dependence, from independence to dependence. We start with sin. We start separated from God. And what God wants us to do is to learn that we need to set ourselves aside and not be so independent and rest on our own strengths, but to be dependent on Him and His power and His presence. So Joseph had to learn how to win dependence. That's the first one. So then there's a second breakthrough. The second breakthrough is this. Joseph, Joseph had to learn how to win within. How to win within. So when you win within, Joseph is now, if we fast forward, Joseph is now uh, around 20 years old. He's been a slave in Egypt for several years. And what he's done is he's actually worked really hard. He's worked himself up in this house called Potiphar's household. Potiphar is a high-ranking Egyptian military official, is who, is who it is. And he is the top-ranking slave in the house. So he's still a slave, doesn't have freedoms, but he's the top-ranking slave in Potiphar's household. Everything's going okay for Joseph, even though he's still a slave, until one day when Potiphar's wife makes an indecent proposal. She goes after Joseph. She wants to have an affair with him. Now at this point, and this is really important to understand, Joseph has a really critical choice to make. Because even though he's a slave on the outside, that doesn't necessarily mean he has to be a slave on the inside. He can give in to his desires if he wants to. And he knows it could have been secret. But thankfully, what Joseph did is he was able to win within. He conquered the within stuff inside him. And he actually ran away from Potiphar's wife. He fled, leaving his robe in her hand when she grabbed a hold of it. But let me ask you this. What do you think God did for Joseph for being obedient and running away from temptation and running away from sin? Well, you want to guess what Joseph got? He got thrown in prison. Woo! Ha! How awesome is that? Let's print some t-shirts. Follow God, get thrown in prison. How many of you want to buy one? Let's do this. Ha! Yeah, right. But that's what Joseph did. He did the right thing. 
But as a result, Potiphar's wife, because she was embarrassed, falsely accused him of trying to do this to her. So he gets thrown into prison. It really begs an important question. Have you ever done the right thing, but lost anyway? That's what Joseph was experiencing with this certain thing. Joseph did the right thing, but then he ended up getting thrown into prison anyway. So that was where he wins within. Even though it doesn't seem like a win, he won inside himself. He made the right choice, even though nobody else except Potiphar's wife would have known. He made the right choice. He learned to win within. There's a third major breakthrough in Joseph's life. So fast forward again. While Joseph is a slave in Egypt, we need to understand a couple of things. He's obviously a slave, right? And so what Joseph is doing is he is washing the floors and he's getting things for other people. And so what what he has done is he is in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is this important official in Egypt. He has all kinds of important people at his house all the time, entertaining guests, all these things. And where is Joseph? Joseph is cleaning up after them. He's the slave. Nobody notices him. Nobody looks at him. Nobody cares about him. He's a slave. Now catch this. This is really, really important. And this is actually the thing that he learned. He learned to win with others. He learned to win with others. Here's the important thing with this. There's nothing more clarifying, life-altering, than when God puts you in the shoes of someone who you recently or before in your life, some other time in your life, dismissed them as unimportant. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Remember where Joseph started? He was the favored son in a wealthy, important, affluent family in a powerful region. He had everything. And he kind of thought of himself as the self-important person. He was, he was the big dog. He was the guy. He was the one that everybody was going to bow down to. Remember that dream? That's how Joseph thought of himself. But now he was in the place of humility. He was in the shoes of the people who were being ignored, who were considered unimportant. God blew his mind. And so Joseph, as a result of that, learns to win with other people. How to win with other people. How to win with those things. And so he gets into this and, 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 and he learns these things. But here's how we know that he actually learns these things. So I'm going to the end of the story and I'm going to talk about some of this in a minute. But Joseph becomes the second in command of Egypt after this. Again, I'll tell that part of the story in a minute. But what happens is when he becomes second in command, there's a huge famine in the land. People run out of food. And guess who, what family has to come all the way to Egypt, hundreds of miles, to beg for food from the Egyptian kingdom? Yep, his brothers. The same brothers who sold him into slavery. They have to come and beg for food. And guess who they have to beg for food? Directly from Joseph, because he's the one in charge of it. Wow, how the tables have turned. Now, at this point, Joseph can do whatever he wants to his brothers. He could have them executed. He can have them thrown into prison. He could just simply send them away with no food. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But here's what Joseph has learned. He's learned that the home run life, people don't act that way. They don't treat people that way. 
They win with others as well as win within. And so what Joseph did is he showed his brothers, his family, forgiveness and mercy. He gave them food. In fact, he actually had them move to Egypt. He saved them. So Joseph learned how to win with others. But then there's one more major breakthrough. After he was thrown into prison, again, he's still a slave, he's in prison, but he's also really good at interpreting dreams because of God, because of God's power in his life. And so while he was in prison, he was discovered to be able to interpret dreams. Well, uh, several years go by, and all of a sudden he gets taken out of the prison and placed in the throne room before Pharaoh himself, the leader of the most powerful kingdom on the planet at that time. And the Pharaoh has him there because he heard Joseph can interpret dreams. And so he asks Joseph that question. He says, Joseph, can you interpret the dreams that I have had? And this is Joseph's response. This shows you that his pride has given way to humility. This is Joseph's answer to that question. He says, no, I can't interpret your dreams, but I know God can. And if he is willing to give me the answers to your dreams, then I will interpret them for you. In other words, Joseph says, I can't do this, but with God's power, I might. This is a guy who's learned the home run life, humility. But even if it stopped there, and, and to be honest, this would be one of those things where, wow, okay, at this point, what happens is Joseph becomes second in command and all this kind of stuff. In fact, that's the last breakthrough. He gets to experience win results. He gets to experience what it means to win results, to have success. Now, if we were to look at this, when he becomes second in command of all of Egypt, we would say, man, that's the best part of the story. That is awesome. He has arrived but we'd miss a big part of this, the biggest part of his story. The biggest part of Joseph's story is not that he went from riches to rags, back to riches, to second in command in Egypt. It's that his life had significance. So because of Joseph's life, he saved his family. But you know his family was? His family is the direct descendants, the ones who actually gave birth to the nation of Israel from that lineage. The lineage would have died out with his family. And so because of Joseph, he saved not only his family, but he saved an entire nation of Israel, Israel that still exists to this day. Without Joseph, that would not have happened. That is quite a significant thing. On top of that, he was able to save thousands upon thousands of lives because he prepared for the famine that was going to hit that whole region. Joseph's life, still even today, has impact, has significance. And so the question becomes, well, what do we do with all this? Well, here's how I want to finish up. I want to talk about the pattern. There's a pattern in life that we all follow. And I want to read for you a a verse, a passage of Scripture that's really, really important. It's one of those that you can kind of stake your life on. And it's this, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will or pattern. So the question is, what, what is this verse saying? Well, it's actually saying something very simple. It's saying the world has a pattern for us to follow, and God has a pattern for us to follow. The world has a pattern. God has a pattern for life. And so what this is saying is we should be following God's pattern. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Conform to the pattern that God suggests, that God offers to us. And what I would say to you is called the home run life. So what if I were to say we could use baseball, the game of baseball, as our illustration to understand these two worldviews, these two patterns of life, and how to understand it and how to chase after it? Well, that's what I want to do to wrap up today. So in baseball, most of us know you have four bases, right? You have home plate, you have first, you have second, you have third base. That's how baseball is set up. Now, in order to score a run, what do you need to do? You have to cross home plate, right? You cannot score a run without crossing home plate. But here's the key. You can't just hit the ball and then run whatever base you want or run, you know, third and then come back to home plate. No. What do you have to do? Once you hit the ball, you have to go to first and then you have to go to second and then you have to go to third and then you cross home plate to score the run. In other words, it matters what direction the order that you run matters. It matters a lot can't score a run without running the bases in the correct order. In fact, uh, do you know what it's called when somebody hits the ball and runs to the wrong base? It's called T-ball, Little League. I don't know about you, but I've coached T-ball in Little League several times, and it seems like every game there would be at least one child, maybe several, that as soon as they'd hit the ball, they'd either forget to run to the base or they'd run to the wrong base or run somewhere else. But here's the deal. If somebody on the Brewers or somebody in Major League Baseball, if they hit the ball and they accidentally ran to the wrong base, we wouldn't laugh at that. We wouldn't think that was funny. Why? Because that player should know better. That's why. So if baseball is the metaphor for life, and there's four bases to have a home run life, and the order matters, then what does that look like? Well, I want to talk to you about the four things, how this actually works and how this matters. So the first one is home plate. The home plate is connect. Connect with God is home plate. You always have to begin and end with God. God is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. We have to start and end with God. It's absolutely critical. Everybody knows, anybody that knows anything about baseball, in order to get off of home plate, you need to have power and you need to have direction. You need to get the ball off of home plate and into the field of play. And you need to know which direction you're running. Guess what God gives to every person? Power and direction. Power and direction. We have to start at home plate, which is to connect with God. The second, or the the first base is character. This is that personal base. This is where you win within. This This is the personal one, the struggle within you, within me. It's where we win in our character. And here's the thing. If if somebody accepts Christ, or if they want to have a home run life, or if they just want to have a better life, 
one of the first things that people will pray about, and I know I tend to do this as well. See if this is true of you, but I, I know I tend to do this as well if, if I have kind of the, a different focus. What I tend to do and what sometimes people tend to do is we tend to pray for God to change things around us, don't we? For example, we say, God, could you help me just to have a better job? Actually, God, you know what? I love my job. Uh, could you change my boss? <laughs> he is terrible or she is terrible. I just, could you just move them to a different job, to a different state would be great. That, that would be awesome, God. Could you do that? Could you make my kids listen to me a little bit more often? God, would you, would you just help my spouse to be a little more understanding? Would you help her or help him to make spaghetti more often or cookies more often? Whatever the case is, we, we pray, God, change my kids, change my style, change my house, change my job, change my income, change all the... We ask God to change all these things. I want to tell you something that's really important, but it might be kind of hard to hear today. When we have God in our life, when we're going after the true home on life, the truth is the first thing that God is going to want to change, He's going to want to work on, is you. It's me. He works on the character. He works on our moral compass first. And then He allows that change to radiate out to everyone else. Let's change what we can change within you And then we can work on all that other stuff. That's how God's going to operate. So the first base is character. We've got to get that base first after crossing home plate or leaving home plate. The second base is community. This is where we win with others. This is is relationships with other people. Jesus himself said when he was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? He said this, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Simply, what is he saying? He's very simply saying this. Love God, love other people. In other words, get community right. Treat people like they should be treated. Have that relationship with God that you know you should have. Get community right. And then the third base, the next one, is competence. This is where we get to experience winning results. This is where we see the fruit of running the bases in the correct order. This is where we see what happens when God is at the center. He's the beginning and the end of our life, and that we've got our character figured out. We've got community, our relationships with people figured out, and relationships with God figured out. Then we get to win results in the right way. It may not even be the results that you were thinking of. It could be money. It could be income. It could be the perfect job. But either way, it'll be the results that are going to be best for you, for your family, for those around you. Win results, competence. And then finally, we get to this point where we ask the question, well, where do we go from here? Well, you don't score a run at third base, do you? You have to cross home plate. We have to drive it home by having and asking God, what is our significance? What's our purpose in life? That's how we have a home run life. That's how we actually cross home plate again. We begin and end with God within the right order, all three of those bases. So the question becomes, well, if that's the pattern that God wants us to follow, then what's the world's pattern? Well, it's actually pretty simple if you think about it. The world very simply runs the bases completely the opposite direction 
they run them backwards. That's what the world does. The world runs the bases backwards of what God wants us to do. What that does is it causes us to do all kinds of things. If we run the bases backwards, what are we doing? We tend to chase success. We chase money. We chase power. We, we chase possessions. We chase the bigger house. We chase more cars. We chase the, the authority. We chase the, the respect and, and authority that people want to, would give to us. And we chase, chase, chase. And we run, run, run. And we work, work, work. And we do all this. Thing. And we run to third base as fast as we can, as often as we can. But we skip all the others. What do we do in the process? Here's what we do. We burn all the other bases down because we went the wrong direction first. We're not having a home run life. We're cheating. We're cheating everything else. We're cheating our relationships. We're cheating our family. We're cheating our character. We're cheating on our integrity. And we're cheating God. We're not giving time to God. We're not giving time to our family. We're not giving time to our integrity. We're cheating all those things because we're trying to shortcut. We're trying to run to third base and back. But that's the world's way, running the bases backwards. You remember Luis Ramos? Well, there's the second part of his story. Would you like to see how it ends? Take a look at the second half of Luis Ramos's story. It's interesting, isn't it? If you really think about it, most people tend to run the bases backwards. It's just, we're in a performance-based culture. Win, win, win at all costs. Get your achievements. Achieve and find results. Get results. Produce results. And that's what we're measured on. We're measured on backwards running, base running culture. But here's the thing. If you're not quite with me yet, you're not quite sure that this is true, let me just talk about this for a minute. So when somebody kind of starts out early on in life, their teens and and maybe in their 20s, a lot of times the first thing that we do is we chase after success. We chase after results. And then we might easily burn through a couple of marriages. We might burn through uh, all kinds of other relationships. We might burn through several jobs. We might burn through relationships. We might estrange relationships with our kids. We might all kinds of things, right? All kinds of destruction and damage happens when we chase after third base first. But then we hit our 30s and 40s. And what tends to happen? Well, we all know what happens. We all of a sudden start to realize Maybe I should really start to try to reconcile some of those hurts that I've caused or that have been caused to me. We start to desire to reconcile with with other people, with, with our kids who maybe we were estranged with. We start to see that maybe relationships with people are actually really important, that community matters. Isn't that true? All of a sudden we start to regret some of the things that we chased after earlier on in life. And then we, we kind of get further on and then we get into our 50s and our 60s and maybe 70s and, 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 and grandparents' age and all that kind of stuff. And, and let me just ask you this. What do grandparents do a whole lot of? You know what they do? They tell stories. Have you ever noticed that? Grandparents love to tell stories. In fact, I love that they do tell stories. I love stories. They tell a ton of stories. Have you ever wondered why? Why do grandparents tell stories all the time? Well, here's why. 
because they want their children, they want their grandchildren, they want other people around them to learn what they have learned. And that is that perhaps this backwards base running is maybe not the best. See, we start to realize community matters, relationships matter, character matters the most. And then we get to the end of life. And what matters the most? Well, it's asking those questions, those life questions. Why am I here? Where is God taking me? What is my direction after this life? What have I done with my life? Isn't that true? When you get to the end of your life, these are the big questions that we all have to wrestle with, regardless of where we come out on those answers. We all have to wrestle with those big life questions. See, what happens is we run the bases backwards and we get to where we should have been when we're 70 or 80 years old, where God says we need to start there and live the rest of our life in the correct order so we experience the home run life. So here's my question for you. Which direction are you running the bases? Are you chasing the world's pattern? God's pattern? Are you running the bases backwards? Or are you running them in the order that will truly give you the home run life? My hope and prayer is that you choose the home run life. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for everybody who has joined us online today and this week. I want to pray that you would help us to realize that that you have set up this life in a way where we can run the pattern. If we run it the way that you have set it up, that you desire us to run it, then we will experience incredible joy and incredible freedom and incredible peace and we will have far less regrets and we'll experience the home run life. Help us to fight against running the bases backwards. Help us to chase relationship with you, character, integrity, relationship with others, and then allow those things to drive our success, our results. Lord, help us to chase you. Help us to follow you. And Lord, we ask that you would give us, help us to experience the home run life when we do that. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as always, thank you. And I want you to know that I love you. God loves you. And now let's change the pattern of our life so that we can have the home run life and be the light.